This is Radio Parallax, a slightly different perspective from a slightly different view, with topics that include matters in science, technology, history, politics, current events, and whatever we damn well please. And now the host of Radio Parallax, Douglas Everett. Welcome to the program, and thanks to all of you who contributed last week to make our pledge drive a success. We did achieve our $50,000 goal, although I do note with some sadness that we did not achieve on our program our $1,000 set target, which caused me to ask, hey, what's up with that? But anyway, to those of you who did step up, I want to again say thank you. But uh, for those of you who didn't manage to contribute, I would say, hey, don't worry about it. If they shut off the lights and we have to operate this program here in the dark, so be it. Yes, that, of course, is a play off the old classic joke, how many Jewish mothers does it take to change a light bulb? With the answer being, none. I'll sit in the dark and suffer. Luckily, we're not in the dark, but we have been doing a bit of suffering of late. As predicted, last week's city council meeting uh, was not likely to go the way we hoped, and it did not. And it was an example, I think, of um, democracy in inaction. It also certainly did prove, once again, the golden rule which is that the guy that's got the gold makes the rules. No, that vote last Tuesday may impact this program, as it does appear that uh, this correspondent is going to have to move. And if I wind up moving far enough away, it means that this program is probably going to have to be all Internet. Yes, it turned out that the Sacramento City Council did have a choice of voting with one of Sacramento's major neighborhoods, that of East Sacramento, or of choosing to vote with two of Sacramento's most powerful politicians, Angelo Sakopoulos and Phil Angelides. Oh, and yes, I know most people don't think of Sakopoulos as a politician, but rather a land developer. But when you are the Democratic Party's number one contributor in California, and, and we believe he is, we do think that you tend to get your way more than the average Joe. That's, that's just our speculation. In the run-up to this vote, there was a lot of what we would consider to be misinformation in the local press. And uh, we'll have more to say about that in our second segment. I'll be joined by one of my neighbors in this tale of woe, Sidney Norris. Sidney wrote a letter in the Sacramento News and Review in response to the piece called Tunnel Vision by Nick Miller on April 10th. To excerpt from it, she said, I consider Phil Angelides' unfounded accusations that East Sacramento is displaying, quote, classic nimbyism, unquote, is as a slur. East Sacramento has a long history of and has been formed by infill. We support the current infill project, Sutter Park. East Sacramento supports smart, healthy infill. McKinley Village at the freeway's edge, rimmed by a railroad track with trains hauling up to 100 cars of highly flammable crude oil in a basin of noise and air pollution, is not healthy for children. Well, we agree with Sydney on that. We'll have her come and join us in our second segment to talk a little bit more about all of this. But at this point, let us start this program as we like to do with On This Date in History. Our date in question is the 1st of May. And May Day certainly is a date with a rich tradition. May 1st, May Day is an ancient Northern Hemisphere spring festival by tradition and usually a public holiday. In fact, May Day is related to the Celtic festival of Beltan and the Germanic festival of Walpurgis Night. May Day, like Groundhog Day and Halloween, marks the halfway point between the seasons, in this case, spring. 
As Europe became Christianized, all the pagan holidays lost their religious character and either changed into popular secular celebrations, as was the case with May Day, or were merged with or replaced by new Christian holidays like Christmas, Easter, and All Saints Day. May Day was also a popular holiday with socialists of the world. It began with the International Workers' Day here in the United States as a commemoration of the Haymarket Massacre of 1886 in Chicago. And evidently after the successful 1917 Workers' Revolution in Russia, May Day became a widely celebrated holiday in communist nations. And here's something we did not know. If you're in Hawaii right now listening to this program, you know that May Day is also known as Lay Day. It is normally set aside as a day to celebrate island culture in general and the culture of the Native Hawaiians in particular. At any rate, it was on May Day in 1931 that U.S. President Herbert Hoover pressed a button to officially dedicate the Empire State Building in New York. At 102 stories, it would remain the world's tallest skyscraper until 1974. Ten years later, on May 1st in 1941, the American producer-director Orson Welles, Citizen Kane, debuted at the RKO Palace in New York. It was a thinly disguised profile of newspaper tycoon William Randolph Hearst, whom Welles played. The movie touched off a long-standing battle between producer and publisher. I don't know, to call that a battle would be to describe the conflict between a cat and a mouse as a battle. Wells definitely did not do well against the uh, power of the publisher. It was on May 1st in 1960 that an American U-2 spy plane piloted by Francis Gary Powers was shot down over the Soviet Union. This wound up derailing an important summit meeting between U.S. President Dwight Eisenhower and Soviet Premier Nikita Khrushchev. Our quote of the day, for the second week in a row, comes from Gabriel Garcia Marquez who said, what matters in life is not what happens to you, but what you remember and how you remember it. Our quip of the day comes from someone named David Olmos, who in response to the question in the online buzz section of the Sacramento News and Review some weeks back, which was, do you support McKinley Village? Mr. Olmos replied, as long as I'm not living in the adjacent neighborhood. Our joke of the day comes from the writers for Jimmy Fallon said some days back, Facebook has come out with a new feature that lets people see where their friends are at all times. It's called Nearby Friends, which is better than the original title, Avoiding Relatives. The question I have, Mr. Merlin, is who's crazy enough to sign up for an app like that? Yeah, I, wanna, I, wanna, I want the world of Facebook friends to know right where I am at all times. That sounds really sensible. Our stat of the day is $33,490. Private school which is what a private school for kids under two is going to charge in an affluent Manhattan neighborhood. It promises to teach skills such as napping and self-feeding. Sounds like a bargain for 34K a year, doesn't it? It's not exactly our anecdote of the day, but we're going to shoehorn it in. Apparently, Google's driverless car is now (laughs) tooling about on the streets of Mountain View, California. We know there's some pretty bad drivers out there, but the idea of a driverless car just seems to me to be pretty... To which I would like to attach the surprising idea that yours truly um, had to drive a Lincoln Continental SUV recently. Now, the idea of a sport utility vehicle being (laughs) 
pulled it after a Lincoln Continental just seems pretty wacky. But far and away, the worst part about it was that it apparently is powered by Microsoft. When you get inside, there's an ad on the console showing that, oh, the, the electronics in this car, you can thank Bill Gates for. And I got to tell you, I didn't doubt it. I quickly discovered that you have to look over at a glass screen and take your eyes off the road to reach over and activate it via touchscreen. There are some controls that are built into the, uh, into the steering wheel. And I suppose with enough maybe days and weeks added, I would have been able to determine how it was you can reset the radio. I did note that when you reached over to try and scroll down on the radio, it only went down. It didn't go back up. There was a plus button that just didn't seem to operate. Apparently someone decided that it's a really good idea to take away all the, the, the parts you can reach down and feel with your hand. Much, much better to make it all operate through a computer screen. So yes, this did remind me of the joke circulating some years back about Microsoft versus General Motors, or in this case, Ford, in response to Bill Gates saying in a computer expo that if GM had kept up with technology like the computer industry has, we'd be all be driving $25 cars that got 1,000 miles to the gallon. I think it's rather more likely that the, the wags that responded to uh, Gates were more accurate when they said, well, yeah, if automakers had developed technology like Microsoft, we'd all be driving cars with the following characteristics, such as one, for no reason whatsoever, your car would crash twice a day. Two, every time they repainted the lines on the road, you'd have to buy a new car. Three, occasionally your car will die on the freeway for no apparent reason. You'll have to pull over to the side of the road, close all the windows, shut off the car, restart it, and reopen the windows before you would continue. And for some reason, you would simply accept this. Four, executing a maneuver such as a left turn would cause your car to shut down and refuse to start, in which case you'd have to reinstall the engine. And my personal favorite, you'd have to press the start button to turn the engine off. Because yes, when they make uh, SUVs over at Ford now, like in so many cars, Nissan and the like I know, they get rid of the key. They have a little fob of some sort, which you're free to misplace, which allows you to start the ignition by pushing a button. Yes, the start button turns the car off. Anyway, let's move into the good, the bad, and the ugly. According to The Week magazine, it was a good week last week for drug monopolies with the news that Americans apparently pay far more for pharmaceuticals and medical tests than people do in countries where a single agency negotiates prices. For example, a prescription for Nexium, a heartburn drug, costs $210 on average in the U.S. By comparison, it costs $58 in Spain, $42 in England, and $23 in the Netherlands. Here in America, an MRI costs $1,145 on average. Oh, if you're in Australia, it'll set you back 350 bucks. The Swiss pay 138 It was, on the other hand, a very bad week for historical accuracy with the news that the Great Men Wax Museum of China has now admitted that it agreed to North Korea's request to add six inches to the wax figure of the great leader Kim Il-sung. He was actually five foot two. 
And it was an ugly week last week for buying food from China, with the news that nearly one-fifth of China's farmland has been polluted because of industrialization and lack of environmental regulations. That's according to the Chinese government. More than 80% of the pollution involves inorganic toxins, including cadmium, nickel, and arsenic, which can make their way into crops. That's all according to the New York Times. And here's something that's both bad and ugly and a little bit crazy to boot. It's bad for the decision-making ability of public health officials in Oregon. And it's kind of ugly for the taxpayers and citizens of Portland. And it's, it's just nuts on top of that. But here's the story. Officials decided to empty a reservoir containing 38 million gallons of drinking water, which is enough to fill 57 Olympic swimming pools, after a teen was caught peeing into it. Apparently, water authority boss David Schaff was quoted as saying, Our customers don't anticipate drinking water that has been contaminated by some Yahoo. But evidently the Yahoo in question, named Dallas Swanger, age 18, who was cited for public urination, insisted he'd only peed on a wall near the water, adding that a little urine in the reservoir was no big thing. He said, during the summertime, I've seen dead animals in there. We have to say we are flabbergasted on this program that the notion that a few ounces of urine would contaminate 38 million gallons of drinking water is just... Wow! This reminds us of what W.C. Fields once said about drinking water, which he said he would not do because the fish make love in it. Yes, it, it, it does seem rather likely that there are fish in most reservoirs free to urinate and defecate all they like. I don't know. Are, 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 there, are there animal life free reservoirs out there? Anyway, if any of you water people out there have any insights on this, please drop us a line at info at radioparallax.com. And by the way, next time you go to Nordstrom's to buy one of those really expensive skincare products that contain 10% urea, since urea has been known since ancient times to be an excellent skin softener, keep in mind that when you put that stick onto your skin, you're, you're applying what would probably be a couple of bathtubs full of urine. Mr. Merlin does raise the question of how it is they discovered in ancient times that Urine was a very good skin softener, which I have to say, I, I, I don't know. But, of course, history is full of brave experimenters. All right, here's an item I don't want to belabor, but I just feel I need to mention it. Turns out that um, Fallujah, the area that invested so many uh, American lives and so much equipment and so much time and so much energy to pacify against uh, religious insurgents, is now apparently completely run by religious radicals. Raising the question again of what it was we were supposed to achieve over there in Iraq. Our speculation is that it mainly consisted of lots of paychecks for the good pals of Bush and Cheney. And speaking of prolonged, expensive, uh, fiasco-ish wars, how about this piece from The Economist, a review of the book The Wrong Enemy, America and Afghanistan by Carlota Gall. Magazine notes that few observers are better placed than Carlotta Gall to judge what has gone so badly wrong in Pakistan and Afghanistan since 2001. She spent more than a decade reporting for the New York Times in both countries, often from remote corners. In The Wrong Enemy, notes the magazine, Miss Gall offers a provocative and compelling thesis that America and its allies are leaving Afghanistan as a weakened state plagued by violence and vulnerable to the ambitions of its neighbors. 
That is, despite the deaths of perhaps 70,000 Afghans, 3,400 foreign soldiers, and a trillion-dollar bill. Yet the outcome was probably inevitable, since the West's efforts were badly misdirected. In the words of America's late special envoy to the region, Richard Holbrook, we may be fighting the wrong enemy in the wrong country. This book, and the review of it by The Economist, uh, notes... Apparently the Taliban has survived because it serves as a front for the far stronger Pakistani army, in particular the S-Directorate of its spy network, which is the Inter-Services Intelligence, ISI. Pakistan uses the Taliban to project military power across the border. In this book, the author shows how the ISI provides havens for the Taliban and directs them to attack Western forces. In Pakistan, they develop suicide bombing techniques and raise soldiers from madrasas. Later in the piece, they note that um, American special forces did kill Osama bin Laden. In this book, Ms. Gall gathers evidence that senior elements of the Pakistani army collaborated with al-Qaeda even as it drew billions of dollars from America to fight the militant Islamist group. On the show some weeks back, we mentioned the folly of destroying military equipment that was in Afghanistan to fight the Taliban when it... <laughs> it could be shipped across the border to Pakistan, which I guess is the current plan. Well, that all of a sudden doesn't look like such a smart idea either. But apparently intelligence sources in Afghanistan became convinced of this relationship between al-Qaeda and Pakistani intelligence. Back in 2006, Afghan President Hamid Karzai and his spy chief personally handed a file to Pakistan's dictator Pervez Musharraf, giving evidence of al-Qaeda operatives hiding in safe houses in Abbottabad. Gee, perhaps not coincidentally, five years later, American special forces killed Osama bin Laden in Abbottabad. The natural question was whether Pakistan's army had been sheltering him all along. Author Gall says the Americans quickly concluded that it had. Sounds like this mess is something we could do a whole show on, but it's, it's not going to be today's show. All right, in some bad news closer to home, we want to note a piece in the uh, Sacramento News and Review some weeks back about uh, how women were decrying conditions at state prisons. Piece by Andrea Abikaram quoted former inmates saying they were misdiagnosed and denied health care. Now, as someone who's had a chance to do locum jobs in California's state prisons for women, I would say that, well... Things may not be ideal, but based on some first-hand experience, the idea that the conditions at uh, CCWF, the Central California Women's Facility in Chowchilla, are terrible caused me to just say, well, you know, sometimes prisoners are not the most reliable witnesses. I can tell you I've sat down at a table when they brought in prisoner after prisoner to ask what medications they thought they needed and this and that and the other, and I can tell you that... uh, I committed an awful lot of taxpayers' dollars to an awful lot of medications. And I think I'm just going to leave it at that. And how about these, uh, this trio of hair-raising items, starting with the fact that according to the Washington Post, between 1989 and 2010, the average cost of college rose by 307%. By comparison, health care costs only rose 223%, housing 85%, and worst of all, wages only went up 70% which goes a long way toward explaining the piece in TheAtlantic.com by Svati Kirsten Narula, who noted that you can pretty much forget about working your way through college these days. While many adults love to complain about lazy and entitled millennials, the truth is when it comes to paying for a college education, 
work ethic isn't the limiting factor. Without financial aid or family help, the student earning today's minimum wage simply won't make enough money to cover tuition, which was not the case in years past. For example, at Michigan State University, one credit hour cost $24.50 in 79. So a student making the minimum wage of $2.90 an hour could earn enough in one day to pay for one academic credit hour. Adjusted for inflation, one MSU credit should now cost $79.20. But its actual current cost is $428, meaning the student earning the current federal minimum wage of $7.25 would need to work 60 hours for every one hour of schooling. Ouch! I guess this explains the recent statistic that in the aggregate, America's students owe $1 trillion of student loan debt. Noted numerous pieces, among them Carolyn Thompson's piece that was in the Associated Press. Disparity experts say this is contributing to the widening of the gap between the rich and everyone else. Turns out that of the nearly 20 million Americans who attend college each year, about 12 million have to borrow. That's according to the Almanac of Higher Education. Estimates show the average four-year graduate accumulates $26,000 to $29,000 in loans, and some leave college with six figures worth of debt. We spoke a couple months back about traveling down to the Caribbean and observing some of the for-profit veterinary and medical schools that are operating down there. Talking to one of the students earlier this week, I was informed that uh, she attended a class put on for the school to point out to them how they're going to have to deal with the quarter of a million dollars worth of debt that they're going to graduate with. You know, I got a crazy idea. Why don't we spend less money on the war machine operating in Afghanistan and still in Iraq and still in a lot of places and uh, spend it on things like education and health? What do you think? This certainly reminds us of that great Wilson Misner quote. If you think education is expensive, try ignorance. we got to take a break here, and I can't think of a better way to do it than with some Wilson Misner quotes to lighten the mood. It is in fact the great Wilson Misner who said the following, I respect faith, but doubt is what gets you in education. Also, stealing from one is plagiarism. Stealing from many is research. <laughs> and... To my embarrassment, I was born in bed with a lady. And I've spent several years in Hollywood, and I still think the movie Heroes are in the audience. And the classic, be nice to people on your way up, because you'll meet the same people on your way down. Let's take a short break. You're listening to Radio Parallax. I'm Douglas Everett. we got plenty more. <laughs> 